You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Father, our heart's cry is simple this morning. Would you allow uh, every heart here to simply adore Jesus Christ? Would you grab a hold of all of our affections, God? Not just some of them, not just part of them, but all of them today. May your son truly be glorified in this place. And when we see the wonder and the strength and the beauty and the majesty of our God as we open up your word. God, I also want to pray this morning for those that can't be with us. We recognize, God, that there's so much going on in different people's lives. God, I pray this morning for those that aren't here because of mourning, because they've lost someone close to, the, to them this week. Oh, Father, would you be their God of all comfort? Would the Spirit be near them and minister to them even in their absence from the body today? God, would, would they open up your word and see Jesus Christ so alive and so real? God, I th- pray for those that are sick, those that are ill, that can't join us today in worship. Uh, so many names, God, I don't want to name them all by name, but you know them, God. Would you be near them as well in their sick bed, God? Would you uh, strengthen them? Would you encourage them in their innermost being today? Would they know today, even though they're not with the body, that they're loved by the body and they're loved by their God and you've not left them or forsaken them? Keep the enemy at bay in their hearts, Lord. Is it so easy to get discouraged in this place? God, I pray today that simply you would be central to everything that happens in this place and our lives. Would your Holy Spirit now, God, illuminate truth to us that we might see Jesus. In your holy name, amen. Amen. You can head with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 today. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up high. One of our ushers are going to be more than happy to get you a copy of God's Word that you can follow along with. If you don't have one at home, Happy Easter. This is for you to take home with you and to read and to seek the Lord through. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be, just continuing on with our series, uh, continuing on with our series of Jesus' last day, and praying that we'll know the intensity of the love of God for us as we see all that Jesus encountered in in his last day, uh, but also the immensity of the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, So Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking at today, uh, verses 43 to the end of the chapter, so a big chunk, uh, but we can get through it. As you turn there, let me remind you a few things. Uh, Number one, as you don't have to be reminded, this let me remind you that next week is Easter, and still, still stats say the primary way people respond to and come to church is through a personal invitation. That's why we go to so much effort to print those cards. You invite your friends, invite your coworkers, invite your neighbors, and pray hard that they'll come and and see Jesus Christ. But still, the number one way, don't forget, the number one people are going to come is by you inviting them. And so we're praying for a powerful weekend next weekend, as this is a time people will come to church uh, Christmas and Easter. They don't come any other time of year, so let's pray along those lines. Uh, Also, the prayer meetings that was announced uh, to you this morning. Uh, Don't just gloss over those. This is a powerful time for your own soul and for our church to get together and seek the Lord. It's like like putting in these prayer times, like putting an oxygen mask on our face and getting infused with Holy Spirit power. And so I know there's lots going on this week, but the best place you can be this week is taking time at least one of those nights to come and pray with the body of Christ. I know, I know that you will leave encouraged. You get on your face and pray. God always meets us there. And so I know you'll be encouraged. So please I'll make that a priority uh, this coming week. <clears throat> uh, Mark chapter 14. Here we go. Easter summarized in four words. His pain, my gain. That's really Easter. 
His pain, my gain. In this mini-series on uh, tracking Jesus last day, we've already had a few episodes. Episode one, we saw Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, kind of in a relaxed atmosphere. Jesus showing us that, man, all this to come, I am going to be the sacrificial lamb of the world. That's the whole point of Easter. Then last week, we saw Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, episode two, and he was on his face begging God, God, if there's any other way, but ultimately submitting to God's plan, not my will, but yours be done. We see the upper room. We see Garden of Gethsemane. Well, episode three today, Mark chapter 14, verse 43 to the end, it's going to be like all kinds of scenes. This, this whole thing is going to take off. The, all the events are going to start spinning out of control in, in, the, in the events of the Easter story. And we're going to see Jesus continuing the garden of Gethsemane and then in, in the courts and then in the, the courtyard as he marches this path to his ultimate destiny, his pain and my gain. And as we see Jesus in Mark chapter 14 here, We're going to see this about our Savior. Remember, this whole series is about Jesus, right? We just want to elevate Jesus Christ. We're going to see this. We've seen already how, man, this is not an easy calling upon his life. Can you imagine being called to to an old, dirty, rugged cross with rusty nails slammed through your hands and a crown of thorns on on your head? Can you imagine that calling? This is Jesus calling for your life and mine. And so we didn't leave here last week going like, whoa! Jesus loves me something fierce. Get a hold of this. Not only did Jesus die in the most horrendous way, he did it all by himself. Completely alone. That's what we're going to learn in this chapter. Jesus was betrayed. He was was accused. He was denied. Jesus walked this path, this horrendous path path of death, all by himself. I don't know you, but that's a little startling to me, don't you think? You know, a lot of us at this point of our lives, we believe in Jesus, we understand there's something greater on the other side, so death doesn't scare us anymore in some ways. We're like, you know what, I think with God's help I can handle it. But here's one thought that does scare us, dying all by myself. One thing we worry about for our families is like, like, we get, we get that you're going to die, but, but Lord, Lord, please just don't help, just help them not have to die alone. Some people say that the greatest tragedy is not death, it's somebody dying all by themselves. And so we read stories like the Vegas shooting a couple months ago, how, how this one young Canadian man was shot and, and some random stranger stayed with him as he took his last breath and stayed with him all night long, even after death, because the greatest travesty is that you die alone. We're touched by those stories and impacted by those stories. Well, get this today. You want to know how much Jesus loves you? You want to know how determined he was to obey his father? He chose to walk this path knowing he was going to have to suffer and bleed and die on a cross for your sins and mine. He chose to do this alone. Jesus' path was not one of popularity. It wasn't one of of pure acceptance. Jesus wasn't on the A-list for speaking gigs with a massive fan club. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said this 700 years before Jesus came. He said, you know what? This is what your Messiah is going to look like. When the Messiah comes, don't get enamored with all these these good-looking actors kind of deal. Like, like this is what your Messiah is going to look like. Isaiah 53, foreshadowing this day, this event, Jesus' last day. Here's what he says about the coming Messiah, Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is Jesus. Despised, not liked, rejected, shunned. Son of God, why would he do that? Why would he allow himself to be subjected to such cruelty when he is the son of God? Because of his deep and intense desire to honor God and love for you and I. As we read this, I want you to try and grasp the emotion and the intensity of what Jesus actually went through that we could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Let me start reading in verse 43. Subheading here, the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. And immediately while he was still speaking, while Jesus was getting up off his face, he says, remember what he's, he's getting up off his face and he's like, you know, okay, forget about my whole like go and pray thing because I'm already here, the moment's here. While he's still telling his disciples this, Judas comes like right on cue. Judas came, one of the 12, with him with a crowd with swords and with clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer, Judas, remember 30 pieces of silver, had given them a sign saying this, the one that I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him uh, away, away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, can you feel the deceit of this whole moment? Rabbi, pretending to be his friend, and he kissed him. Immediately they laid hands on him and seized him, but one of those who, drew his sword, who, who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple, teaching you, you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Here's what Jesus faced for you and I. On the last day of his life, Jesus faced the sting of betrayal. Jesus faced the sting of betrayal. While he was still speaking, Judas comes back in. Remember, remember where the, how the story went? Remember in the upper room when, when Jesus said, hey, it's, someone's going someone's gonna to totally betray me and, and deny me, and then it's, gonna be, it's worse off for that guy. You know, wish, wish that guy wasn't even born. Remember Judas got up and left at that time? Well, where did he go? Well, clearly we know where he went. He went to round up a little group of friends to come back and get Jesus. It says here, it's clarifying here, Judas. You're like, why would they clarify Judas? Judas came one of the 12. This is Judas, one of the 12. Well, I have to clarify that. Of course it's Judas, because I think in this day and age, people would have been shocked that it was Judas. Remember, Judas was up for an Oscar nomination for his, his, his facade of being on Jesus' side, right? So Judas, and people were like, what, Judas? Like, th that Judas? Yeah, that Judas, one of the 12. It's emphasizing the, the depth of the intensity of the betrayal of Christ. Like one of, those, one of the ones that was closest to him, one of his comrades, one of his little groupies, one of his friends, that Judas? No. Yeah. That's the one. And he brought with him. Where did he go when he left Jesus and the others? I think he probably was realizing, uh-oh, my gig's up. Thought I was playing a coy, but my gig's up. So he went and rounded up all these, this little, little posse. Like, remember the old Western movies when the criminals come in town? Like, we're going to posse up. Remember that? 
This is sort of the same thing. He's got a little posse going. He has swords and clubs. It's sort of an odd scene. Jesus wasn't that, I don't think he was that buff. I don't think he was that feared. But they come with swords and clubs, chief priests and scribes and elders. Actually, John tells us that there was a whole bunch of people involved in that. It wasn't just a little group of like five or six. It was probably, John 18 says, probably a cohort, which is like 600 to 1,000 men. Going to overpower this little group of 12. That group included not just chief priests, leaders of the religious circles, but temple police and Roman soldiers, lanterns and torches and weapons. Prior to this, the crowd was never really hostile to Jesus per se, but that dissension that was stirring underneath was boiling over. And then it comes, and then it comes, the moment that's well documented, that is sort of the, the moment of, that we all kind of, anytime we're betrayed, we're like the kiss of betrayal. Judas enters and he comes up and he calls Jesus rabbi. It's almost like an extra like, rabbi, like you're my teacher. Greeting each other with a kiss was normal back then, but never the rabbi. The rabbi would always initiate that. Judas is kind of playing on his close relationship with Christ. Jesus and disciples never really interacted in this sort of way. And then he kisses them. Like of all the ways that he chooses to like betray his Lord, he kisses them. Not like shine a light in his face or like, there he is. Kisses him. You know, betrayal's hard enough. Like the kiss is almost like, like the stab in the back and a little like. Bleh. Some commentators maybe even think he lingered a little bit longer to say like, just so he knows, like, like you know, kiss him on the cheek. He's like, in case I didn't get it. So humiliating, so heartbreaking for Jesus, even calling him a rabbi, sort of like making a mockery of the whole thing. Hey, rabbi. As soon as they did this, as soon as he did this, the crew with him knew that this was Jesus. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who drew his, who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. This is, this is quite a scene, hey? We know again from John that it was Peter, Peter and Malchus, and so, so I don't... I don't Peter brought a sword to the little confrontation. So as he sees this all going down, he probably grabs someone's sword and, and get this. He didn't cut off his ears and like, wah! I think if he did that, he would have cut his arm off too, right? He, he's going for like, he's going for it all. He's going across like, I'm going to cut your head off. Probably Malchus is like, whoa! Like on the movies, eh? Whoa! Almost made me dizzy doing that, but that's what happened. <laughs> cut his ear off. Peter, eh? We love Peter. He's a little bit brash, a little bit bold, but like, he's not going down without a fight. Look at, look at Jesus. Jesus is just looking, he's looking around and he knows everyone's all intense. Everyone's all fired up. But one person, who is it? Jesus. He's sort of like, Peter, really? He leans down, picks up the ear, and he's like, here you go, buddy. Like Mr. Potato Head. Like, <laughs> that looks way better now. And he's like, seriously, you guys show up with all these things and like, I've been here for you to come and get, like, come and get me. It's almost like Jesus is snickering under his breath, going like, you think you're messing up all my plans? Oh, my goodness. You guys are so far mistaken. You guys, God's just using you as pawns in the big chess match with Satan, ultimately to set you up for your own checkmate. And then it ends with this in verse 50, and they all left him and fled. Jesus said, this is all that scripture is going to be fulfilled. Like, like, don't fool yourself in thinking that you're like somehow like rearranging history. Like, ooh, look at you guys. You're not, guys. 
And then in verse 50, it says this, and they all left him and fled. The way that the Greek is all postured in this is, is emphasizing the fact that Jesus was left in this moment completely alone, even by those who he would have expected to stand by him. Also, this little garden of Gethsemane was all quiet, and Jesus was, was on his face. All of a sudden, he stands up, and all of a sudden, it's like, it's, like, it's like when you're driving through the neighborhood, and the police just converge on a corner store or something. You know, it's, like, it's just like mayhem. Next thing you know, it's like everyone's gone. Including verse 51. This is an odd verse. That's why I didn't read in the rest of the passage. My son actually this week read ahead in my sermon series. He comes up and is like, Dad, there's a weird verse in next week's sermon. What are you going to say about that? He's like, did you know that in Jesus' story there's a young man that ran away naked from him? That's just weird. It is. Completely weird, but it's in the Bible, so let me read it for you. They all left him, even, it says, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. That's a little random piece of information in the story that's relevant to what? Who is this guy? We also don't know who this guy is. Some think it's Mark, the writer of the book. And he's just too embarrassed to say he lost his trousers. So he said, hey, some guy showed up. You know, like your kid sometimes does when he comes from school. Hey, little, little Charlie got in trouble in school. And you're like, you don't have a Charlie in your class. Oh, <laughs> caught. What's this in here for? Like, ultimately, I think it's really par- tying into verse 50. It's everybody left, including some of those that wanted to be there, that loved Jesus. It's the way it all worked out. Like, everyone's gone. Everyone. It was completely gone in Jesus' life. Stop and think about this for a minute. Ever been betrayed? Ever been betrayed? Every one of us has been betrayed in here in some level, right? Even to say that word betrayed, doesn't it stir up a lot of like, oh, it was like 20 years ago, but I still feel it. Doesn't it? The pain of betrayal, like punch me in the face, I can handle it, it's going to get over it, but the pain of betrayal, oh man, that lingers a lifetime, doesn't it? Makes you feel about like, this big. It's even worse than death, I think. Someone dies and you can have some closure on that. Someone betrays you and, and you're almost daily reminded of the fact that, man, we once were close. We once had this love thing flowing between us and, and the daily reminder of like, I didn't match up. Something didn't work out and, and now there's... Think about your own betrayal experiences in life. He was simply as a boss that you've been loyal to and, and you show up for work one day and he's like, nope, done with you, someone better came along and you're like, but what? Maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend from junior high or even senior high, but you still remember that you, you, were, like, you were like enamored, you had like stars in your eyes and you thought they were the one and they came back like, uh-uh. You thought I was like, you're nuts. Maybe it's even a little more deep than that. Maybe it's apparent that you put all your trust in and you thought you were close with and one day you woke up and they were absolutely gone. Maybe for you it's a spouse and you loved them and you gave your whole life to them and out of nowhere, a text or an email or came home and they're gone and they aren't coming back. Man, betrayal is so hard that some people choose to end their lives instead of face it. Right? As I'm talking, I remember those experiences in my own life. Someone that I, some people that I thought, like, those guys are for me. There's no doubt. They're going to be with me to the end. 
Oh, how naive I was. You feeling it? Can you imagine Jesus in this point? Like, would you ever, would you ever choose to go through that? Me? I, I want to get as far away from pain as possible. Would you ever choose to go through that? What would Jesus, remember, Jesus is willingly going through this. This didn't catch him off guard. He's not like, oh my goodness, I didn't expect this, God. Jesus willingly went through this. He put himself forward to betray, be, be, betrayed. He didn't even fight in this passage. You know, most of us are like, we're going to throw at least one swing to see what happens, right? Jesus willingly, willingly walked through this for you and for I. He ultimately knew that, that this was part of God's plan, that you and I would have salvation, would have a shot at a relationship with God. I'm not sure if Jesus loves me. Think again. Jesus loves you more than you can ever know. Jesus didn't really, didn't just face the sting of betrayal, though. He also endured the devastation of accusation. So left standing there all alone, except for this mob of people, they're like, to the courthouse! Remember, this is the middle of the night, right? A little weird, don't you think? Is the court even open? To the courthouse! I'm astounded by this, before we get into this section, that, well, let's read, let's read it, and then I'll, then I'll comment on it. So verse 53, to the courthouse, and they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. So everybody's in this courthouse now. Peter had followed him at a distance. So Peter's like a sort of there, but not really. I don't know where the other disciples are. They vamoosed like mice when the lights go on. Right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. This is Peter. So Peter's like, you know, kind of like, kind of want to see what's going on. But if I'm tied to him, it's going to be bad news for me. So I'm going to pretend to stand here warm by the fire, kind of listening over. Like, ooh, nice warm fire. Trying to see what's going on. That's Peter. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying this, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that was made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. Like, there's just so much confusion in this whole thing. This is ridiculous. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is that that these men testify against you? But verse 61, but he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said this, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. At this, the high priest tore his garments and said this, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him like, prophesy. Oh yeah, you're so smart, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Not only did Jesus get totally betrayed, he endured the devastation of accusation. I'm astounded by this as I get to, you know, between verses 51 and 52 and 53. You know, at this point, if you picture yourself in this scenario, at this point, remember all that's going on, this big mob? Peter's going to cut this guy's ear off, Jesus picks up and puts it back on? Don't you think somebody in that crowd would be like, oh my goodness, he just put his ear back on? Maybe we made a mistake in this whole thing. Maybe he is the son of God because I've never seen any high priest do something like that. They didn't. They're so angry, they're so determined. Even the guy who put his ear back on, you don't see any 
record of him going like, oh yeah, by the way, thank you. Kind of like two ears, look goofy with one. Hear better with two. Just, just notice the hatred towards Jesus. Just notice the intensity of the desire to kill this man who came to save us from our sins. Total opposers. So they take Jesus to this court, like I said, in the middle of the night. You have to understand the religious courts in that day were quite equal with the civil courts, but even this whole scene is totally backwards to Jewish custom. This should not have happened in any way, shape, or form the way that this happened. This is like kangaroo court, like 101. This is like the stories you hear of Canadians getting arrested in Mexico and going like, man, that's just backwards. Truth and justice isn't on the pillars of that court. It's corruption and malpractice. To understand how backwards this is, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish customs. Here's some things uh, of the Jewish courts that were in the Jewish law that would have prohibited this actual whole scene from even happening. This scene in episode three should have never happened. According to the rules of the day, rules of the day, there's no court that was allowed to convene at night. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Not turn the court lights on for anyone's random process. A verdict could not be reached until the second day to give due process. They had some things actually would protect people from this very thing. It has to be two days before we can come with a verdict to make sure it's a fair trial. Just like in today's day and age, witnesses were supposed to have been warned to only include firsthand truth in their text. Like, like you know, the whole thing, like, put your, you know, swear on the Bible, swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth will help me, God. Remember those things? That came from the Jewish customs. Like, they were supposed to warn people, don't lie in this. Tell the truth. Also, it's interesting to note they had him up for blasphemy. But the charge of blasphemy could only be convicted if they reviled the divine name, which Jesus hadn't done. Trials couldn't be held in the palace of the high priest, which was happening. And finally, the Old Testament does not specify anywhere that crucifixion was a punishment for blasphemy. This is like a bad dream. So backwards, even in text, it says here that they were only really admitting evidence against Jesus. They're looking for people who had evidence against him. You have evidence against you? I have some for back of the bus. We don't want you. Only the, only the stuff against, please. Talk about a one-sided court case. We'd be, try, we'd be crying mistrial. We'd be having protests, right? The only evidence they could find against Jesus was this, of which they didn't agree on even, that Jesus said... I will destroy this temple that is made with human hands. In three days I'll build another not made with hands. Well, that's blasphemy against the highest temple, the highest courts. Just check your facts. Jesus never said that. It was a variation of what he said in uh, John chapter 2, 19 and Mark 13, 1 and 2. But he never said that. He never said he was going to tear down anything. He said it was going to be torn down and he was going to rebuild it. But he was, uh, made it clear he was talking about, about, not about the temple, but about himself. Not the literal temple of what he's being accused of. Take a little truth and twist it. Again, it says it twice in here. The testimony didn't agree. Verse 59, it says it again. Why is it saying it twice? Anytime, I've told you before, anytime the Bible says something twice, back to back, it's to make a point. Because if they didn't agree, it was not worthy of death. Yet in the midst of all of this chaos, getting rocked out of the garden to the courthouse, all these accusations flying, look at Jesus' response. Remember, I want you to see Jesus in this whole thing. We could talk about all the reasons why they did this and all the total depravity. Look at Jesus' response. 
What did Jesus do in this case? He said nothing. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've been falsely accused of things or things said about me that weren't true. You know what my natural reaction is? I tell you this, it's, it's not to keep my mouth closed. In fact, to keep my mouth closed in those times is almost like you have to bite your lips and put a clamp on that sucker and like, look at Jesus' reaction. Some commentators think it's because it was so outrageous, he's like, I don't have to say anything at all. Like, do I have to even speak to defend? Like, clearly it's backwards. I think the greater thing is it shows the heart of Jesus. He's like, whatever it's going to take, whatever you want, oh God, remember, not my will, but yours, whatever it's going to take, whatever you want, God. I think Jesus stood silently because he knew that he could defend himself in a heartbeat, but, but it's our eternities at stake. It's our lives at stake. So he stood there quietly. He didn't say a thing until, remember, in these cases, he's under oath, right? Till he was asked specifically by the high priest. So under oath, Jesus is a man of truth. Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? He remained silent. Then the high priest asked him, are you, specifically, are you the Christ? The son of the blast was a divine name for God. Like, didn't want to utter the name of God, right? Are you, are you the son of the blast? Look at Jesus' response, verse 62. Almost like he's like, all right. No point hiding this any longer. This is the whole point of Mark, right? It shows that Jesus is the Christ. I am. Reminds you of Exodus, doesn't it? God's great I am, I am. Jesus is like, I am. I am the son of God. I am. I am the I am. And you'll see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. Reference to Daniel 7, the exaltation of Jesus. And coming with the clouds of heaven. And basically what he's saying is one, one day you're going to know for sure because I am going to come with the divine judgment of God. High priest was so exasperated by this, he tore his garments. I've never been so exasperated, I ripped my shirt, Hulk Hogan style. I've never done that. Probably because I can't. But he's so exasperated, he's like, he's like, I don't know what to do with this guy. It's like he probably took probably the inner garment, not the outer garment. Probably like he's, it also was a sign of guilty in the, in the courts. Like this is the, guilty, guilty, clearly guilty. Blasphemy. And yet did Jesus... Slam the name of God, he didn't. They put a bag, spit in his face, put a bag over his head, blindfolded him and beat him. And started screaming, prophesy. Two prophecies were fulfilled out of this text, just this little passage here, verses 53 to 65. Isaiah 53, 7. The Messiah will be oppressed and afflicted, yet he will open his mouth not. Like a lamb that has led to slaughter, like a lamb that is before his shears is silent. That is a fulfillment of prophecy. Here's another fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike you, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace or spitting. Unbelievable. And yet Jesus took it all. 
Again, try and put yourself, just been betrayed. Now people are lying about you. Now they've got a bag over your head. You can't see a thing. They're spitting at you. And I was spit in the face once as a kid. I still remember it. it was grade three. Some kids from school had me in the corner. I don't know what I did or what I said. Obviously, I was a, something happened. <laughs> remember the kids spitting in my face and turned around to walk away. I picked up a stone because I was so mad and I threw it at him thinking I wouldn't hit him. Hit him square in the back of the head. Bottom line is no one really sits by and lets that happen, right? Except for the Son of God. It tells you a lot about the self-control and the humility of Jesus. He was going the distance for you and nothing was going to stop him. Whatever was going to come his way, he was going the distance for your soul and mine that we would have a relationship with God and eternity sealed with him. As if it's not bad enough, this little section gets a little harder for Jesus to swallow. He also understood the disillusionment of denial. Betrayal's one thing, and then there's the accusations. What about the denial of, of the leader of the disciples? Verse 66, Peter denies Jesus. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy in Mark chapter 14, verse 30, and uh, many other places in the New Testament. Matthew, Luke, and John also record this, where Jesus tells Peter, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And Peter's like, not me, not me, not me. As, Jesus, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, the high priest, came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you are also with the Nazarene Jesus. He totally denied it. He said, I neither know or understand what you mean. He's like, me? I have no idea what you're talking about. Again, picture this. Remember big, strong, bold Peter who tried to cut this guy's head off? Now he's afraid of a little servant girl. Like, what's she going to do? Man, if I tell her, then she's going to tell them, and I'm going to be with, not me. And he went out to the gateway and the rooster crowed. And heart beating so fast probably with what could happen to him. Notice he's pretty worried about comforting himself. He's by the fire. He's like, it's cold out here. I want to at least stay warm while this whole thing goes down. He's, he's really consumed with himself at this point, right? Worried about himself. And servant girl saw him again and followed him. And the first time with just one person. Second time with a whole group of people. She's in front of people now. Like, isn't this man that was one of them, but again, he denied it. When it says again, he denied it, it means he kept on denying. It's like, no, like, get away from me, young one, no. And after a little while, the bystanders have said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. And they're like, but I, I think you fit the profile. It's, it's like when a southerner comes up and you're like, ain't you all from the south, you know? And you're like, you're from not here, are you? Or Maritimers, you can pick them up out of a crowd sometimes. Just the southern, the accent, and the maritime accent. Well, this is the Galilean accent. And they're like, well, clearly you're Galilean. But look at verse 71. He began to invoke a curse on himself. If I am, curse me. And to swear, not like cuss words like we think of swearing, but like, again, the Bible thing. On the No, I don't know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter re remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. No, no, no. 
like a well-choreographed drama, like, oh, 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 no, 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 oh, no. What have I just done? I even picture Jesus in this place. I don't know where he was standing at this whole thing. Maybe he's still in the courtyard, or in the court. Maybe he's overlooking the courtyard by this point. And betrayal, accusal, accusers. Now, now the one whom is supposed to be leading the charge for you. Just finished calling a curse upon himself, saying he's never seen you or known you. I read this and I'm devastated for Jesus, aren't you? No one should have to go through this. Psychological studies today you know, say, you know, you know why denial and rejection is so hard? Because the same part of the brain that responds when we get actually physically hurt is the same part of the brain that responds to emotional pain. That's why it's so difficult to handle. And yet Jesus, in this whole thing, what is he? I'm already sad in my heart just for the guy trying to picture if this happened to me. I'd be devastated. Look at Jesus. He's so strong and so valiant, so courageous, so willing to just walk forward in truth as compared to even Peter, who is so cowardly and so self-centered and so thinking about his own comfort. And Jesus is the complete opposite of that because, again, he had his mission in mind. He had you and I in mind. Jesus was willing to put it all on the table. That you and I would have all of God. What a last day. If there's last days of like worst of last days, this would be it. I've heard a lot of people have bad last days. This is the worst of the worst of last days. From the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane to the courthouse to the courtyard, this is the epitome of bad days. Why would Jesus go through this for you and I? What does this mean for my life today? Here's three applicational points of what it means for our lives today. Here's applicational. His pain, we get his pain. Do you get his pain at this point? Do you get it? Can you feel it? Here's the gain part of this. Why did he go through this? For our gain. Here's number one. Why did Jesus go through all this? Jesus died alone, get this, to ensure that you and I would never, ever have to. You get it? Jesus died all by himself to ensure that you and I would never, ever have to die all by ourselves. Hebrews 13, 5 tells us this, that because of Jesus, because of his sacrifices, we have a connection with God through repentance and faith. And God tells us that he will be through, because of Jesus Christ, never leave us or forsake us. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection assure me that God will be with me forever, even in the point of my final breath. You never have to go through it alone because of a living Jesus. You're in the OR. Just doctors around, you're all alone. You're not alone. You have Jesus Christ, you find yourself at the bottom of a bad accident and you're all by yourself. You're never alone because Jesus is willing to go through this alone. You will never be alone in that moment. Isn't that great comfort? Isn't that great joy? Isn't that great thank you, Jesus? 
You go in your sleep and everyone in the morning realizes that you are alone in your bed. Guess what? You will never, ever be alone. No one else cares about your death. Guess one person will? God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. You're never going to be alone. Here's the second thing that this tells us. Jesus empathizes with my loneliness. Jesus empathizes with my loneliness. If you've been resonating with those stories about betrayal and accusations and denial, there's nothing worse than those things because they make you feel absolutely isolated and all alone. Loneliness is one of the great plagues of today. With all the Facebook and all the technology, we're more alone than ever before with true human contact. And man, it can sometimes be overwhelming and you wonder, you start wondering, does anyone care? Is there anyone out there who really cares? Let me tell you this, as evidenced by the life of Jesus, he cares deeply. And he understands and he empathizes you with you in your loneliness, in that pain of betrayal that you can't shake and you wonder if you can ever get over it, guess what? You can go to one place. It's Jesus Christ. He'll understand. He won't laugh at you. He won't be like, that's not a big deal. Why do you feel like that? He will get it and he will minister to your soul. Ever been that place of accusal? People are telling you all kinds of things about you. You don't know where to go. There's nowhere to go. There's one place to go. It's Jesus Christ knowing that he gets it. Fully understands every tear. And every thought of disillusionment and every desire to give up, he gets all of those things ever been denied and think that nobody else will ever understand exactly what I'm going through because you've never walked my path. Oh, there's somebody who understands. It's the best person in the world to understand is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14. Hold on to this when you can't bear it any longer, when you think you're at the end. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted yet as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. God wants to give you grace in the time when you come to him that we might receive mercy and find more grace to help, to help in the time of need. His pain, my gain. Here's the last application for this. As we understand the life of Jesus in his last day, Jesus' resolve compels me to stand with him. Jesus' resolve, this whole thing, where does this leave you? I think it leaves us with this. If Jesus were willing to go through this for me, what am I not willing to do for him? If Jesus would go through all these things for my life, man, I just want to stand with him in solidarity so that he never has to have people deny him or accuse him again, especially not my life. It's kind of the opposite of the NFL kneel thing. You know, we're going to kneel and protest. We're going to stand in protest to stand in solidarity with Jesus Christ. Unlike Peter, sometimes the apostles are here to I think we have to look at the apostles. Man, we've got to be just like the apostles. We've got to be just like the apostles. Here's a good case. We're like, let's not be like the apostles. Why is Peter in here? Why is this contrast in here? It's to show us how not to live for the glory of God. 
Of course, we know that Jesus reinstated Peter and his grace abounded more than we could ever imagine. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. God wants us to see the reality of the wonder of Jesus' sacrifice. To see all that Jesus is and commit our lives to, you know what? I just want to stand with him. I will not be ashamed of Jesus. I'll stand when the world denies him at home and at work and at play. I'm not going to be shy any longer because Jesus wasn't shy to stand for me. I won't be shy any longer to talk about Jesus with my friends and my family, which is sometimes the hardest, and my coworkers. There's a way to do this and not get fired. I can make a point of letting others know what Easter truly means to me. And why it's such a great celebration for us as believers. I'm going to make what's important to Jesus important to me. Loving God and loving people and walking in purity and holding firmly to truth. While at the same time being saturated in grace. At the end of the day, I have one goal in my life. I have one goal. And it's simply to stand for Jesus in this life and stand with him in eternity. That's it. Once I recognize the reality of what Christ went through, what Christ went through for me, it's not as tough of a call as it seemed at first, is it? Jesus do this for me, surely I can stand for him here on earth. And those who stand on earth are assured that you'll be standing in heaven. Again, this whole series, just to help you see the wonder of Jesus. I pray that you leave here with like, wow, Jesus, I can't believe all that your last day entailed. And you had me in mind when you did it. Let me pray. Oh God, help us see the glory of Jesus this morning and respond appropriately. God, for those in this place that have been betrayed, and accused and denied and still wrestling with all that, God, would you help them see the loving arms of Jesus this morning and to see that his pain allows their gain and access to him and to God the Father through him. God, I pray that you draw them to yourself today, that you might heal them and minister to their souls in the midst of their pain. God, I pray for those that maybe resonate with Peter a little too well and have been living their life denying, 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 never really taking a stand for you. God, I pray even today that as they've seen the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus, that they'd be enough with the denying. they turn to you and say, God, I now want to stand. I want to stand so the world knows that I'm with Jesus. You put the world on guard that you stand with those who will repent of their sins and put their faith in you. You put the world on guard, on notice. God, you put, allow us to put the world on notice that we stand with you. And for those that have been denying God, would today be the day enough with the denying? I'm standing with Jesus. God, for all of us, I pray we leave here with an assurance, with a hope, with a confidence that our God lives and our God conquers. And with our God, we have everything. My gain is everything because of Jesus. Never, ever will I have to be alone again. And God, I even pray for those that maybe have heard this sermon. They've never put their faith in you at all. 
maybe been coming to church for a long time, maybe just strolled in here this morning, they've never actually got on their knees and said, I need to repent of my sin, I need to put my hope in Jesus, I want God a part of my life because I need God a part of my life. Father, would this sermon even help them see the love, oh, what love of our Father, oh, what love of His Son, and cause them to turn to you for salvation for the first time. Whatever you have for this sermon, Lord, apply it to our hearts now by your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.